We're looking at Acts chapter 5, starting at verse 12. Glad that you're able to be with us. We're going to try to cover a lot of ground today, and so I'll talk rather quickly. My wife says that I talk too quickly anyway, but, you know, you can slow it down. There are buttons to slow it down if you need it. Acts 5, verse 12. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. Now, if you remember from just a couple of chapters ago, that's where Peter and John were preaching in the temple precincts after healing the man who'd been crippled for his entire life, and he was about 40 years old, the scripture says. So that got the attention of the priest and the temple guards. Uh, they called a confab. They brought the Sanhedrin, their kind of Supreme Court. Uh, they had them you know, put in, in jail overnight and then ordered them never to preach in this man's name again. Well, here they are and they're doing miraculous signs and such and they're right back at exactly the spot where they were arrested last time. So was this an in your face and we'll show them? I don't think so. I think it was more, this is where the people are and we're gonna go where the people are. Regardless of why they chose to go right back to the scene of the crime, shall we say, Verse 13, no one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. So there is this aura of if we get close to them and join these people, the priest and, and the guards and all will come after us. Nevertheless, more and more women and men believed, men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on mats and beds so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Well, let's, let's talk about this. Um, is there any other mention in scripture of somebody passing by in their shadow healing people? No. And it doesn't specifically say that the people who got the shadow were healed. It said they, they were laid out there in hope that some of them would be healed. But then they say that those who brought them to the apostles, bringing the sick and those that were uh, tormented by evil spirits, they were healed. And it even uses the word all. As we know, when Jesus was here, there come, came time where Jesus you run out of hands and you run out of daylight and he would get away and get away. So when it says all here, it doesn't mean that sickness was eradicated in first century Jerusalem. What it means is that those that the apostles healed were healed. Um, all of them were. They had no failures. This was not a modern day faith healer uh, that would just plagued our land in America in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. And then after that, there were some exposés on many of them, some by Christians, some by avowed atheists and magicians like James Randi. Uh, and yet, you know, there are still some out there, but most have, um, have been shown to be more failures and fakes than they are anything else and uh, then they'll blame the person well their faith wasn't right or the spirit everybody the apostles tried to heal they healed all of them then the high priest and his associates who were members of the party of the sadducees again remember when they arrested they did not believe in the resurrection because they were sadducees the sadducean priest 
did not believe in angels, demons, resurrection. Um, and so this time, the priest rotation was to the Sadducees, and they would sometimes rotate to the Pharisees. They were filled with jealousy. See, there's the thing, not wait, these, not outrage, these people are teaching error. They are doing bad things. No, it's jealousy. We want that power. We want that attention. This is our territory. This is our bread and butter. So they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. Once again, you did not have to have cause to jail, beat, or kill anybody. Now the Jews themselves could not do the killing, but they could hand them over to the Romans. And the Romans, if they felt like, eh, you know, killing this guy is better than there being a ruckus, they just kill you. It, you had no rights. It's so hard for us to understand that. Nobody expected justice. Justice wasn't done. You didn't get that. That's why we waited. They would tell you, you know, you get it in, in, in heaven. So what happens? They arrested the apostles, put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. I love it. This full message of this new life. He didn't say, go tell them how to form a church and hear the rules. And if you sing the wrong song, you take the Lord's Supper wrong, you're out. No. This new life. What is the new life? Love God. Love your neighbor. Love like Jesus. Talk about Jesus. Be his representative. Be the heaven the people need to see. That's your life. Go do it. It's not this big, overwhelming, crushing burden that churches have made it to, to be over the years. It's just so, so heartbreaking when you really read scripture and say, wait a minute, this is supposed to be a new life. And I hope that's what we're presenting for you. And thank you for all of you who have sacrificed to give to us, to allow us to do this. That's, uh, we are very grateful. Um, he goes on. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, uh, as they had been told, and they began to preach the word. Now, when the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, courts coming back, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them. So they went back and reported, We've, we found the jail securely locked, the, door, the guards are standing at the doors, uh, we, but we opened and we found no one inside. Upon hearing this report, the captain of the guard and the chief priest were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. Ooh, what are the consequences of this odd thing? Then someone came and said, hey, uh, look, the, the men you put in jail are standing at the temple courts and teaching the people. Well, at that, the captain, with all his officers, brought, uh, went out and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. That's pretty cool. Not the stoning, but the, the fact that the apostles were winning over the crowd to the point where uh, captains are saying, would you please accompany me to the station? By the way, uh, it also is a huge danger because as soon as the first rock flies, the Romans get interested. Uh, going against the peace of the empire. And they don't care who did it, they just want it stopped. And if it means killing a few more people, they'll do it. So. This is a dangerous time. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. Now, switching to one of the voices from the Sanhedrin. We gave you 
strict orders not to teach in his name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. You're determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men, the God of our fathers. And you see that God of our fathers doesn't mean our fathers. He's bringing the Jews, the God of our fathers, raised Jesus from the dead, who you, not all the Jews, but the people he's pointing at, who you had killed by hanging him on a tree. He phrased it that way because in the Old Testament it said, cursed is everyone who's hung from a tree. So you took the, the gift of God and you treated it like a criminal and you cursed it. God, on the other hand, exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. Now we're, we're witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Dun, dun, dun. They didn't, the, the chief priests, the, the lawyers in front of them, they didn't get the Holy Spirit. Do you see the inference? They weren't obeying him. Peter says he gives it to anybody who obeys him. When they heard this, they were furious and they wanted to put him to death. But a Pharisee, please remember, most of the Pharisees we see in Scripture are bad guys, but most Pharisees were actually really good guys who just wanted to follow the law to the best of their ability because they believed that God wanted them to follow the law. And so they were very nitpicky about it. And they added a bunch of extra stuff just to make sure that they didn't go outside the boundaries. Very much like Eve. When the devil said, are you allowed to eat from all the trees here? And she goes, all but one. And we're not even allowed to touch that one. Well, God didn't say you couldn't touch it. The Pharisees added these extra barriers in so that you couldn't get close to the sin. But most of them were sincere and good people. And here's one, it seems. A Pharisee named Gamaliel, the teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the people, that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the men of Israel. Consider carefully what you intend to do to these people. Some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All of his followers were dispersed. It came to nothing. These are false Christ. These are false... Um, rebel leaders that are claiming we're going to overthrow the Romans, that sort of thing. We know very little about them. Some we know from the writings of Josephus. He's not always the most accurate historian, um, but you know, it, it's a body of work that we need and rely on. Then he goes further. After him, Judas, not, not the one you're thinking of, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and his followers scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activities of human or origin, it, it'll fail. If it's from God, you'll not be able to stop these men. You'll only find yourself fighting against God. His speech persuaded them, so they let them go. No. His speech persuaded them, but because this was a brutal rough time where there were no Bill of Rights, no individual rights at all, they called the apostles in and had them flogged. And if you're right now go, wait a minute, they didn't do anything wrong and everybody agreed 
they weren't doing anything wrong and they were just told to let them go and they were persuaded to let them go. It was routine. Think about it. Every time you get pulled over for a traffic stop and they find, oh, your papers are in order. You know, we just missed that little tag on the license. It, it, they haven't expired. So we'll just beat you up and let you go. It's what they did. They ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and they let him go. Let them go. A little drink here. The apostles left the Sanhedrin bitter at their treatment. No, no. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Get your head around this. Rejoicing that they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Wow. Sometimes the faith of these apostles is big enough to make mine look awfully puny. Well, day after day in the temple courts, oh, temple courts, and house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus is Christ. Why is it good news? Because no longer are people like Annas and Caiaphas, no longer are they in charge of your religion. No longer is anyone in charge of your faith and your future except for Jesus and God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. This is good news. This is really good news. Well, it is good news, but the problem with the church, and there really is, there's a super big problem with the church, and that is that we let people in it because it's really good until people get in. And when people come in, they bring their histories, they bring their ideas, they bring their true life situations. And sometimes dealing with those true life situations is, is difficult. And so here at chapter six, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews um, among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in a daily distribution of food. Everybody understood what this meant back then. Let me explain it to us in 2022 or whenever you're listening to this because the internet's forever. Uh, for good and ill, the internet's forever. Uh, the, the, the Old Testament, Leviticus and Deuteronomy in particular, gave the Jews a system to make sure that their people were cared for. And so everybody would lay aside a certain amount of money and uh, at least once a year would bring it to the temple for it to be held in a treasury. And then widows, and by the way, other people as well, but we're dealing with widows here. Widows could come and they would be given a portion of money. Now this money was not the way we give it in America and in Breton, and I don't know about other countries, so I can't speak to that. That is basically only enough to keep you poor forever. You know, this will give you food for this month or this week, but you gotta come back and you gotta come back and you gotta come back. That's not the way they did it. They gave you enough upfront, a year or two years worth, where you could buy property, start a business, you know, um, find a way out of poverty. This worked terrific. And, and as we saw earlier, a couple of weeks ago, there were no needy among them. 
But as you are converting Jews that are not able to live among other Hebrews, but are rather in areas the Grecian Jews, they call them. It, it would be in Greece, obviously, but they would also call you that if you were living in Italy, modern day Italy or Turkey or the like. You are, you are surrounded by people that are not Jews and they are not laying aside for you. Now you're converted and you're, you're coming to Christ and you're around these people and you're still hungry and having to beg in a market stall while these ladies are getting food and getting cared for. And you're going, well, what about me? Well, you might think, well, feed them, take care of them. Here's a problem. The more you convert, the more of them are and none of them laid aside. All of you did. Now you're supposed to give, it, it overwhelms the system. You don't have enough money to take care of three and four and five times the number that you laid aside for. So it was a, it was a real issue and people were getting very angry about it. So I have to starve? Well, no, you can beg in a marketplace. No, but you were given food. Well, yeah, but we laid aside for this. You see how that would work? Well, the 12 gathered all the disciples together and they said, um, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now, by the way, that doesn't mean waiting on tables is below anybody. It's saying we have a lane. You need to know I'm an Acts 6 minister, pastor. I, I do not have any interest in going over a budget sheet. I have zero interest in talking about buildings and utilities and the like. Now, thankfully, our Safe Harbor Church uh, doesn't have to deal with that, except for, you see behind me, this is an office that we had to rent because the office I was loaned for a year very generously by a person who still very much loves and supports us, they needed that office because his business was being blessed and growing and we were not going to hurt his business. So we do have to rent this space and there is a very small utility bill that comes with it. But the soundstage and all of that area, that's donated to us and run by solar. So yay. But what if, what if one of you were to toss us a couple million and say build a building? First of all, we're not going to but let's act like we were a normal church and say, woohoo, let's build a building. Uh, if you give us that money, what we do is just make sure that Jesus got to more people and food got to more people. So if you got it, send it, but you know, don't, don't look for a steeple with a plaque, all right? That's not happening. So, but let's say um, that we, were, we needed to build a building. I wouldn't have anything to do with it. How do I know that? Because I've never had anything to do with it. Not because it's bad. I think right now it's a really bad waste of God's funds, but that's just me. And I could be very wrong. And please, I'm not, I'm not throwing that away as like, well, I could be wrong. No, I've been way wrong before, so I could be wrong. But even when we really desperately needed the building and they'd be building it, and I was really glad they were building it, I didn't have anything to do with it. And people would come in and say, well, are there gonna be classrooms over here? And I'd say, I don't know. Are we gonna carpet this or, I don't know. Well, when's this gonna be done? I don't know. And they'd look at me and they'd say, but you're the pastor here. You're the lead minister here. I go, yeah, exactly. I stay in my lane. I do this. We're gonna have a meeting at the end of this month, May 22nd, at the soundstage. 
And if you'd like to come, send us an, a note at info at rsafeharbor.com where we're going to talk about here's our money, here's our staff, here's our mission, here's what we're seeing as needs. So if you want to come or you have questions for us, send that in. That said, I stay in my lane and so did the apostles. They said, brothers, choose seven men from among you. And by the way, seven doesn't necessarily mean this. There you go, got it all in the camera shot. We use numbers exactly. Seven to them meant enough. However many you need is seven. It's complete. It's the whole shebang. Uh, it's, it's all right, got it? So choose enough, seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. The whole concept, and we'll get to this especially when we get to chapter 15, of an eldership or a church board making decisions for the church is not found in scripture. It is not found. And if that really gets your hackles up, I'm not sure where those are located, but if it, the hackles are up now, hang in, we'll get to chapter 15 soon enough. But notice, he said, there's a problem, sort it out. You, you people, should just sort it out. We're not going to be knocked off our ministry. This proposal pleased the whole group. Uh, probably the last time any proposal pleased the entire group, but there you go. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Temis. We, we never hear of these people again. Um, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Why? They saw love in action. They saw people, remember the last couple of chapters and the end of Peter's sermon in chapter two, who voluntarily sacrificed, who didn't store up treasure for themselves, but sacrificed and gave of their time, their money, their food, their homes, and their land to any who had need, and that little outpost of heaven is attractive to the world. It's attractive to the needy, and that's what most people think, but it's also attractive. If you're listening to this, put it in the comments or send me a story, but I bet if you're under 35, you are not interested in churches unless that church is actively giving and caring for the poor, the other, the downtrodden, the thrown away, the forgotten. You more than any other age group right now, only, you have no interest in all those theological arguments we've had over the centuries. You want a church which is on the ground getting its hands dirty and you are really good at sharing. You are really good at sacrificing. I love millennials. And I love the, the generation after them. I, I love them because they really want this, their lives to be an outpost of heaven. These people were doing that and it was attracting so many people. Well, when it attracts people, there are gonna be some issues. And here comes Stephen. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, as it always will. Opposition arose from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the province of Cilicia and Asia. 
These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we've heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. Oh boy. Um, I've spoken at many places where uh, as soon as they found out I was speaking, people wrote letters to the leaders there saying, you can't have him and here is a list of charges. And then after I've spoken, I've been surrounded literally uh, by angry men wanting to you know, stamp me out and purify the faith. Now, I don't try to answer all their questions because if they want the questions really answered, they just come to me and ask me the question and I'll answer them. But they're doing that as a way to shout down and, and so I generally just smile and let them say whatever they want to say. And at the end I just say, well, I hear you. God bless you. Is there anything I could do for you right now? And then they'll do it again and I'll say exactly the same thing. This happened at one of our major Christian universities several years ago. It was a very tense situation. I was fine, but it really upset the administration. They finally sent somebody into the herd to say the, the president of the administration of uh, the, the university needs, you know, Dr. Mead right now. Let's go. And I'm going, oh, well, okay. And it was lovely that several years later I got a phone call and the guy said, I was one of those men. And I just want to tell you, I'm sorry. I've been listening. And while we may not agree about everything, I don't think you have horns and a secret 666 tattooed on your body. So he didn't phrase it that way, but it, that was just, a, that was a cool call. I like that. Uh, so they, they're, they're this group, we're going to sort out Stephen and these Christians. We're going to purify the faith. By the way, almost every major division and breakup and disaster in church history started with people who wanted to protect and defend their corner of the faith. Look it up. So when they couldn't find anything real, they said, he has blasphemed. Even today in Muslim countries, if you just bring that charge, you don't have to prove it. Uh, the people are killed, they're stoned, they're destroyed. It was about that way here too. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law and they seized, they seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stops talking. Uh, 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 speaking against this holy place and against the law. No, he didn't. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs handed down to us. Oh dear, people love their customs, don't they? All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now, be careful. When it says face of the angel, it doesn't mean hello. Oh, sweetie wings. No. The word angel, angelos, meant messenger. It looked like this man is a messenger. He's got something he's going to say. The high priest asked him, are these charges true? And he replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said. Go to the land I'll show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. And after the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance here, not even a foot of ground. 
But God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. God spoke to him in this way. Your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and they'll be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, God said, and after they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision, and Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after his birth. That's what the law told him to do. Later, Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of the patriarchs. Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, you seeing a little parallel starting here? They sold him as a slave into Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So he made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. Now, most of us know this story takes a dark turn, and it will next week. God bless you. I hope you're having a fantastic week. If you have questions or if you want to attend the May 22nd meeting, info at rsafeharbor.com. And if you can possibly support us and, and, and hit subscribe and drive our numbers up, that helps a tremendous amount. Please do that as well. Uh, our website is rsafeharbor.com and it's a really cool website. You gotta go play with the interactive map. It's a lot of fun. Talk to you next week. Cheers.